Well, take your Bibles this morning, open them to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 today on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 31. At least that's what we will read this morning to get us started. So would you please stand in honor of God's word as it is read? And before I read, would you pray with me the prayer on the screen? Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has the fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Amen. You may be seated. Every single person bears the image of God. The Gerber Baby Contest is one of the world's most popular baby contests. It is a photo contest in which applicants could submit pictures of their infant children to see if they can be the Gerber baby. Last year, Instagram hosted the contest. Photos could be sent into Instagram, and over 800,000 entries were received to be the Gerber baby. Now, if you're chosen, if your child is chosen to be the Gerber baby, it comes with over a $50,000 cash prize. And no doubt it maintains a good deal of advertising for Gerber Foods. Well, last year's contestant, the contestant of 2018, was chosen not just because he was cute, not just because he was cuddly, not just because he knew how to smile and to make everybody bright, but last year's baby was a first time in Gerber history, a first time since 1920. That's how long the contest has been going on. Last year, Lucas was chosen, and he was the first child ever to be chosen, a Gerber baby who had Down syndrome. And so he was on the Today Show and on all other different newscasts, and uh, the pro-life movement was excited to show the world that somebody had realized that every life is beautiful and made in the image of God. In fact, there's a picture of him. There he is there. That's the 2018 Gerber baby of the year who represented the company last year, a little Lucas there. And today, God wants us to see through the scope of Scripture that he values his image in all people and that we should do the same. So today, we're going we're gonna to walk a path, if you will, We're starting in Genesis chapter 1, but on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a day where we talk about the value of every human life, we're going to look 
at a trajectory that runs through Scripture, kind of like a thread that is woven through the entire context of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through into the New Testament, about how God values His image in humanity. Because it is the image of God in us that gives every human life value. And so I'm going to walk you through that, and then we'll discover why, therefore, we should value that image also. So if you like to take notes, the first thing to note is this. Mankind is created in the image of God, and that one is obvious, starting in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image, and the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them. Now, it's interesting in this passage, you'll notice there's actually two terms that work together. It says, let us make man in our image and in our, you see the other word there in the passage? Our image and our likeness. And those two words, they're different words, but they're like two sides of a coin. They work together. They're not drastically different in meaning. Um, I looked them up this week, and one theologian said this, the word image means an object similar to something else in essence and often representative of it. Now, that little phrase, a representative of it, becomes important because in the ancient world, um, rulers, kings, Caesars, pharaohs, they could set up an image of themselves and it carried with it the authority of the ruler who had set up the image. Or they could have what we would call today an ambassador who represented them. And that ambassador represented them and had therefore the authority to act on behalf of the ruler. And so when we say that we're made in the image of God, it means we resemble God in our essence, but also therefore we therefore have a representation to the rest of creation. Which makes sense why God then after in the next verse goes on to say, therefore rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all the livestock. Because he says, you are going to reflect my rule over the world that I have created. So image is a reflection of God at the essence of who we are. The word likeness, the theologians say, means an object similar to something else in resemblance. But there's no emphasis on that representation of being an ambassador, so to speak, on God's behalf. So both of them talk about a similarity. Now, I'll be honest, theologians have spilt, I mean, tons of ink on what in the world does it mean to be the image and the likeness of God. We know it's important, and yet there is no Bible verse that really comes out and says the image of God equals, and it fills in the blanks for us of what it equals. And so um, there's been all different theories uh, one, one theologian, Wayne Grudem, he says, it's all the ways that we're like God and represent him to the world. There you go. That, 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 that's got to cover it. It embraces it. It's not very specific, but it's pretty broad. Through history, for those of you who do like theology, there are, have been historically three different views of what it means that, to be made in the image of God. One of those, I don't have these in the notes, so you just, if you like to write notes down, just have to write them down. One is called the substantive view. In other words, we are like God in our substance. Uh, in other words, we have a reason, soul, or spirituality, or morality. We have our own volition or our will. It's what is the, the inside of us, what makes us us. And that is 
the substantive view. In other words, that's what some theologians think it means to be in the image of God. Others think it's the relational view. It's the fact that we, as men and women, can have a relationship, not just with one another, but we have been created to have a relationship with God. It's the relational view. And then there's what's called the functional view. Some go on to read that verse where it says, so rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so it's the role that we have as humanity is God's ambassador for ruling over the earth. So some view it as the functional view. It's the function we have within creation. Some would say it can be all three. They don't necessarily um, contradict one another. However, the scripture, uh, we see hints of all of that in scripture, whether that's God's image or not. Well, like I said, there's not a verse that clearly says. I do think in the New Testament, we do see this. The image of God is in knowledge of him. The image of God is in righteousness. And the image of God is in holiness. And I think there's verses that we'll get to later in the sermon that make those areas clear. But to start off, we discover this. Mankind is created in the image of God. You, this morning, whether your hair went the way you wanted it to, whether your teeth are as clean as you want them to be before you came in, I'm sure you all brushed your teeth, you know, whether you're the perfect weight, whether you're the height you've always dreamed of being. In my family now, we all gauge height because all the kids are growing and they all want to beat each other. You are made in God's image. You are in the image of almighty God. Unfortunately, though, the story doesn't end there in Scripture. We're only at chapter 1, and it doesn't take long before that story takes a turn and a twist. And we discover that the fall distorted the image of God, but did not erase it. So when Adam and Eve sinned, we believe that the image of God remains in humanity, but now it is distorted, or you might say it is marred. It's not what God had originally created it to be. So we don't reflect God as clearly as we at one time did. But we know that the image is still there because you can go a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 9 after the flood and after Noah gets out of the boat with the animals and his family, God says to him, he says in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God has God made man. In other words, he says, Noah, murder's wrong because all the people that are going to live on the earth are still in my image. That image may be marred or distorted, but they are still in my image. So murder is wrong. So we see God's created us in his image. And now as we start reading through scripture, we discover that the image of God is still present, but we believe it's, it's marred and distorted because of sin. So God comes up with a plan to restore his image. His image is so valuable in humanity, he comes up with a plan to restore it within us. And to do that, he sends his son, who is the perfect image of God the Father. Have you ever thought about that? That one of the things Jesus came to be was the perfect image of God the Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Or Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. The author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of 
God's glory the exact representation, if you have the NIV. Another translation says the exact imprint. Another translation says the exact expression. Another translation says the exact image of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. When the image of God got destroyed or marred and distorted by sin, God said, I want to restore it in humanity, and to do that, I'm going to send my son, who is my perfect image, to be a human, and perf- the human that we were all created to be, the perfect image of God. And so, And when Christ comes to be our Savior, one of the things he does in saving us is this. In Christ, the image of God is being renewed in mankind. As you read through the New Testament, you pick up hints of this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. It's interesting, we read that verse and everybody gets... Church people always get in the conversations. What does it mean he predestined, he predestined, he predestined? But we miss this fact that God's goal is the, us to be the likeness. Isn't that the word that was used back in Genesis? And we were made in the image and the, the likeness. We are to be the likeness of his son. You could go on in the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul writes, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So when people ask me, what is the image of God? I say it includes righteousness and holiness because in Christ we are being made like God in true righteousness and holiness. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3, it says, Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. So Jesus came, not just to forgive us of sins, not just to give us a home in heaven eternally with him, but he has come that in you, God the Father might be reflected perfectly in your life. And what's amazing is that it doesn't end there. So scripture then goes on further to say, once you accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit begins working in you, molding you again into the image and likeness of Christ. But it gives us this hope too, that ultimately when Jesus returns, that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. So 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49 says, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, that's referring to Adam, And we all have a sinful nature and that distorted image coming from Adam. He says, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. That's a reference to Jesus, who is the perfect image of God. Or in 1 John 3, 2, it says, dear friends, now we are all children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be perfectly like Jesus who's the perfect image of the Father, and like him. What I want you to see is that you can start in Genesis with God making us in his image, and then watching that his image still exists, but marred and distorted. So he sends his son, the perfect image of the Father, to save us and renew that image within us. And one day we will stand before God, the perfect image of God once again. And what I want you to observe is this, God is, cares about his image in humanity. 
And God has been working all throughout history to preserve and to renew his image in humanity. God cares about people made in his image. Therefore, so should we. If God cares about his image in people, we should care about his image in people. The early church took that seriously. Pastor Ben shared with me a book this week and I told him what I was preaching about. And it goes through how Christianity has improved the world in all these different ways. And one of the areas is in regard to the sanctity of human life. Because Christians take, has taken seriously, not just today, not just as a political issue about Roe v. Wade and, and all that goes with that, or euthanasia, or assisted suicide, and all those issues there, but Christians have taken the issue and the sanctity of human life seriously going back all the way to New Testament times. In fact, you can really go back even to Old Testament times when God disallowed child sacrifice in the Old Testament. But we discover that all through history, Christians have been fighting for life. So the earliest Christians, they fought against infanticide, which was the killing of infants. They worked to undo child abandonment. In fact, in the book, there's a, paint, a, a drawing from um, over a thousand years ago of a group of fishermen in Italy on the Tiber River, and they're in their boat, and it's one of these old drawings and, or paintings, and you see them, and they're in the boat, they have their net down in the water, and what's interesting is what do you pull up in a net out of the water if you're a fisherman in the boat? You catch fish. The problem is in this net, as they're drawing the fish in, or as they're drawing the net in, there are no fish in the net. It's meant to, it's a it's an intentional image that in the net are babies. Because in the ancient world, if a child was born and a family couldn't care for it, or if a child was born and they didn't want that child, for example, we still have cultures today where it's considered better to have a male child than a female child, and so cultures will abandon the female child when it's born. And the early church came along and said, we will take the abandoned children and we will love them and care for them. And it was common in the ancient world that if, if a child was unwanted or too much to care for, they would take the child and they would throw it into the river to drown. And so the Christians would come along and save the children. And so in this ancient painting are these Christians in a boat with a net catching children out of the Tiber River. If you go through Christian history, you see that Christians stood against abortion. In fact, an argument was made, and I, as I looked at the context, I don't know if it's true or not, because um, you have to always interpret a word in context. But two times in the New Testament where Christians are told to avoid you know, evil, debauchery, and it goes through this entire list, slander, different things, one of the words is witchcraft. And the word for witchcraft is pharmakia. And we've heard of pharmacy, from, we get the same word, and some, I'm not sure, I didn't get a chance to research this fully, some think that that word is Paul's word for the medicine used to end a pregnancy. And that Paul says Christians may not use pharmacia or participate in pharmacia. Ancient Christians were against human sacrifice. We have a hard time imagining that today. But one of the ways they were against sacrifice was in the, not just, you know, 
in pagan temples, but they were against it in the gladiator games. There were to be no sports within Christianity that inflicted taking the life of another person. And I've told you the story of Telemachus. He was a monk who lived in the first 500 years of Christianity. Actually, it would have been about 400 A.D., He was a monk who decided to travel to Rome and to gather with a group of Christians there. He got to Rome, and as he was in the city one day, he noticed crowds of people heading to the Colosseum. As he went into the Colosseum, uh, he wondered what was going on. He thought, well, I'm going to join the crowds. I'm going to see what all the excitement's about. Just like a Notre Dame football game, you know, there's just tons of people in town. What's going on? So he heads into the Colosseum, and as he gathers in there to see what's going on and why the crowds have gathered, he sees down below gladiators fighting, and they're fighting with their swords to the death. And Telemachus cannot believe what his eyes behold. And as a believer in Jesus who believes people are made in the image of God, he is abhorred by what he sees. And so he looks at that scene, and it And he decides, I have to do something. So he starts speaking up, and he says, in the name of Christ, forbear. Stop it. And he starts making his way down the steps in the Colosseum, and and hollering, in the name of Christ, forbear. And he eventually climbs over the wall, down onto the Colosseum floor, runs up to the gladiators, and says, in the name of Christ, forbear. And history isn't certain exactly how he died. Either a gladiator looked at the crowd and thought it would be funny to take the sword and to kill him and run him through, or history says he was stoned by the crowd who was so upset because he had interrupted the gladiator games. And But with his dying breath, he looked at the gladiators and said, in the name of Christ, forbear. Christians have stood for life, protecting life, in all different avenues and venues. Christians have stood against suicide in ancient times that was considered wrong by the Christians. And so we see infanticide, child abandonment, abortion, human sacrifice, and the gladiatorial games and suicide, all ancient illustrations of which we have documentation where Christians said, no, people are made in the image of God We value life. If the ancient Christians did it, then my question is this, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we, God's people today, value life? And that comes in multiple areas. It's fighting for the pre-born baby and valuing that life. It's standing with the elderly at the end of life and saying their life belongs to God until the day of natural death. It comes in promoting adoption and standing for foster care. It comes like ministries like Johnny and Friends that come alongside the disabled and the mentally handicapped. It comes like Mother Teresa and the missionaries of charity who in Calcutta, India, care for those who society considered too great a burden to allow to live. Christians have always stood for the sanctity of life. And so I have a thought to pass on to you about that. Most Christians I know, myself included, most of the time, if you were to say, if, if, if you're a Bible-believing conservative, theologically a conservative Christian, then most Christians will say that, you know, we are Christian and we stand for, we're pro-life from the moment of nat- natural, the moment of conception to the point of natural death. And 
Christians will say that and will say, well, what do we do to be a voice for life? And many will say, well, I vote pro-life. And I just have, I could be wrong, but I, I will just pass this on as a John Rainus observation. If all we do as God's people is vote pro-life, then more lives will die because that isn't enough. It will take God's people being actively a voice for life to make a difference for life. I remember when I was in Mississippi, and Mississippi has a very active pro-life movement to the point that Time Magazine several years ago wrote an article of how the abortion industry is, is almost dead itself in Mississippi because of how active the pro-life movement is. And I remember one of those people making a statement to me and a group of people that were there one day said this. They said, if the church were active, if every Christian would actively be a voice for life, abortion would be done this year in America. He said, the problem is most just vote pro-life, but they don't live actively engaged pro-life. And I've never forgotten that. And I don't think every person's called to, you know, uh, be a sidewalk counselor. Not every person's called to go to a crisis um, care center. Not every person is called to be in hospice care. But we are all called to value human life made in the image of God because God values his image in humanity. And we should all ask God, God, where should I be a voice for life? And there's voices needed from birth all the way to death. But we should ask God that. Where should I be a voice for life? Because I think if I just take it, well, I'm going to vote pro-life and just think that way, then I think that's like being... It's like being a bystander at a sports game. I love all of you that love sports. That's great. My son loves sports. He cheers them on and everything. And I've noticed some, I, I'm not a huge sports fanatic, but, but I have friends who are and a family, some of my family members who are. And it's always exciting when you watch sports. They get so worked up about it. And, and I, I'll pick on my son for a second. He, he's like, it's rigged. It's rigged. I mean, every sports game we watch, as soon as something goes wrong, it's the wrong call, we're losing the game, it doesn't matter what it is. It's rigged. It could be a video game. It's rigged. It does, it just, it's always rigged. And so everything is rigged. And, and what amazes me is that people are so intense and they're so excited about it. But at the same time, this is what I always observe, is that most of us that are on the sidelines yelling our hearts out and screaming at the refs or cheering on the team, but one thing is this, we're not in the game. And I always think of that, because sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, why is the coach doing that? Why are they doing that? And I always think, John, you can be a coach then if you've got, you can do it better. You can be a coach, get in the game. You can do it better than get in the game, you prove it. It's easy to sit on the sideline to show, to talk like you're big stuff and you know how it works, but you're not in the game. Don't have any skin in the game. Get in the game. And I often think when it comes to the pro-life movement, we talk pro-life. I'll preach a pro-life sermon on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but the truth is when I walk out the door, other than maybe in November voting for pro-life, other than that, I'm not in the game. I'm not a voice for life. And I just, I can't help thinking what that person said to me one day and just said, it's because Christians really aren't a voice that life is so devalued in our culture. If they would just get in the game, we would win. 
That's what, that's what the message was. And I, that's not biblical. I'm just sharing with you just a thought on our culture, passing along what I've heard and been challenged with. But we could be a voice. It's never wrong to be a voice for life. At any point in life, it is always right to be a voice for the sanctity of human life. And so I hope you've seen this morning. I know I went quickly through it. In fact, I, I was with the, the junior high in the Sunday school lesson going through these verses, and I realized, oh, I'm going to fly over everybody's head, and they're not going to catch this. Real quick, this, this theme throughout Scripture of God making us in his image and him working to restore that through Jesus Christ in our lives. And if God cares about his image and humanity, then so should we. We should care about people made in the image of God. God values his image in all people. So should we. But I'd like to bring that closer to home, if I may. Some of you, some of you have made decisions in life that uh, you, wouldn't want, you sure wouldn't want broadcast in church. And you may regret the decisions that you've made and you can't go back in time. But I want you to know something. If you've had an abortion or maybe you kept your mouth closed when you should have opened it, the cross of Christ that is for me a sinner is also for you. And there is forgiveness. And not only is there forgiveness, but can I tell you, God is a master of taking people who are sinners and making beautiful things out of their lives. I have, uh, my wife and I have a dear friend, and I'm just amazed to see what God has made of their lives and their families' lives and the beauty he has brought into their lives and what he is doing in and through them for the sake of the kingdom. But if they were to go back in time, there's a lot of decisions in life they wish they could redo. And I want you to know that the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood shed on Calvary is blood not just for you, it's for all of us who are sinners. And there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. But I'd like to speak to a particular group as well. This week, I, uh, I haven't really slept well this week. And I, I figured out it's my own fault. I haven't had a good night's sleep. I didn't sleep well last night. I realized my mom bought me an eight-pack of Mountain Dew and I hadn't been drinking pop. I've drinking a bottle every day. And then I wonder, I have not slept well all week long. I'm like, I am sleep-deprived this week. And it's all gone now, so I'm, hopefully life will be back to sleeping good through the night. But in the course, I, I remember on Monday night, I just, I was not sleeping well. And you ever have those nights where you fall back asleep, but you're just dreaming all night long, and just, it's restless sleep. And I was dreaming, and I, and I had a dream, and, and on Tuesday when we came in, we have staff meeting on Tuesday mornings, and when we had staff meeting, I decided to share the one dream, because I knew some of the people know the person in the dream. And I said, you know what, last night I had a dream that I was with Dr. Eugene Carpenter from Bethel College. Now, some of you will know Dr. Carpenter from Bethel College. He was an Old Testament professor, a brilliant man. Um, he knew biblical languages and knew about 20 biblical languages. 
And they all kind of work together. So once you know a couple of them, he would say, then you know several of them. But most of us never get to that point. So he knew like 20 biblical languages. People like to tell stories about him and how smart he was. Uh, he's written commentaries. I have some on my shelf. But I, I got to know him well um, as a professor when I was at Bethel. And I had this dream that Dr. Carpenter is there, and I'm there, and he's talking to me, and he's asking me, John, what do you like about ministry? And so I'm explaining to him what I like about ministry, and I'm talking about preaching and, and the role of preaching for the, for the pastor. And so I just came in on Tuesday, and I don't know where the conversation was going in staff meeting, but I thought I would share that with them, and I'm talking about that and sharing that dream, and, and I realized half the staff didn't know who Dr. Carpenter was, so if you don't know who he is, that's fine too. And then I said, I mentioned, I said, well, tragically, Dr. Carpenter died and went home to be with the Lord when he drowned, taking a, a boat out on a lake. I, I heard he had gotten a new boat. He was taking it out by himself, and somehow I don't know the details, but he drowned tragically. In fact, I can remember getting a, a message from uh, my friend Earl saying, I just want you to know I just heard the news, Dr. Carpenter has passed away. And I was uh, standing in my driveway in, o in Ohio at that time. I mentioned that in the staff meeting. One of the staff spoke up and he said this. He said, two weeks before Dr. Carpenter died, he said, he said, you know one thing I'm looking forward to? He said, my wife and I had six miscarriages. He said, one day, I look forward to meeting those six children in heaven. And some of you come to Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and you hear a pastor year after year stand up and say, life from the moment of conception, but your arms have never held that baby. And I don't understand that. I haven't been down that road. But I want you to know today that that baby is valuable to God. And that your grief is good and right. And I remember a couple months ago, a dad saying, I went to a memorial service. I said, oh, really? For who? And he said, the hospital here, he said, had a service for all of us who had miscarriages this year. He said, where I lived before, I said, we never could say anything or talk about it. We could never bring it up. And he said, it felt so good to be with a group of people who know what it is to lose a life. And I thought today on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, there are many of you, men and women, who've gone through the silent, and it is a loss of a miscarriage. And I want you to know today, God values the life of your baby. And we your brothers and sisters in Christ. We grieve with you. And we look forward to the day when heaven will be filled, I believe, with millions of people whom this earth was never privileged to meet.
made that. So if you've had a miscarriage today, I just want to focus on you and pray for you as your pastor. So would you bow your heads? Father in heaven, we value life. And you call us to be a voice for life in our world. But Lord, I know that there are probably dozens who sit here this day, who hear the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception, and they think, but I never got to meet my baby. And I pray that you would heal the broken hearts and speak your words of hope and resurrection into those homes. And I pray that your words, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord is true not just for us but for each child and a mom and a dad long before. So Jesus, may you care for the children that the world has not been able to care. And may we faithfully share your love for all people of every race, every language, every mental state, every physical state, knowing that they're all made in the image of God. We love you today, Jesus. We thank you that you are our Savior, remaking us in your image. In Jesus' name we pray. And the family of God said together,